This sermon was recorded at Grace City Church's Sunday morning service. Thanks for engaging with us online, and we pray that this sermon greatly encourages your faith and walk with God. Their peace. That might not all make sense to you, and as I said, it's the prophet Micah. He lived uh, and prophesied to Samaria and Jerusalem from about 742 BC to 686 BC. So about 700 years before uh, Jesus was born, uh, he brought this prophecy. And as Old Testament prophecies do, they speak into their current situation, which was the mess Israel uh, and Jerusalem, Judea, was under the attack that they were facing. And it also speaks forward to what God is going to do and what He was going to do to bring uh, a ruler uh, who would transform everything. And so we see in this prophecy, we see five things about Jesus Christ. We see that He would be born in Bethlehem. We see that He would be struck on the cheek with a rod. We see that He's from old, from ancient days. He would be a shepherd king and that his people would find security in him, even to the ends of the earth. So I want us just to have a look at those five things that were prophesied 700 years before uh, Jesus arrived uh, and were then fulfilled. So the first one was that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Jesus' earthly parents, uh, Joseph and Mary, they didn't actually live in Bethlehem. Where did they live, anybody? Nazareth, someone said yes, they lived in Nazareth. Nazareth is about 140 kilometers uh, north of Bethlehem, uh, and so they didn't actually live there in Bethlehem, but we read in Luke 2, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, so this is Rome, Caesar, he issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinarius was governor of Syria. I love the Bible's detail. It just proves the historical reality of it. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary. He was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So Google told me that um, if I traveled from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem this morning, it would take me about an hour and 56 minutes on Route 6. It was the Ben Zayed, so I can't remember, freeway, can't remember the name. Uh, it's taken me an hour and 56 minutes to get there. Well, those days, obviously, it took them a bit longer, and they think it roughly took about four days uh, for Mary and Joseph. She was heavily pregnant, remember, uh, maybe with a donkey, to get to, uh, to Bethlehem, this four-day journey. And they got there, and soon after arriving, Jesus was born. Now, we could say, well, uh, it's quite a coincidence, really, that that happened. So, at that time, the person who ruled the known world, Caesar, he called uh, that there should be the census. That census happened to uh, come at exactly the right time 
for Joseph and Mary to travel to Bethlehem. And Mary didn't have the baby while she was still in Nazareth before they left. She didn't have the baby uh, on the four days journey. Uh, she could well have. You know, I remember when Lynn was overdue with, with Anna, and, um, you know, they said, well, exercise is good. She was two weeks overdue, and I remember we were living in Cape Town at the time. I took her walking up Table Mountain, uh, and I pushed her, really, up Table Mountain. I don't know what I would have done if Anna had started to be born. I didn't think that through that well. But anyway, um, nothing happened. We went to a 21st birthday party, and I remember throwing her around the dance floor. Still nothing happened. Anyway, that's irrelevant to the story. The fact is that um, being on a donkey trip for four days, probably a good time for a baby uh, to be born as you're on a donkey trip, but he wasn't born then. They get to Bethlehem, and he was born. Coincidence. Coincidence. Maybe. Do you think that maybe you're here today uh, by coincidence? It's coincidence that you've come... Uh, because someone's getting baptized, maybe, or because Ian is leaving, uh, or because you come here every Sunday morning. Uh, maybe it's coincidence that you are here. I know as we go to the baptisms, uh, certainly uh, Deborah and Cam, who've maybe lived a bit longer than the other two who are being baptized, I know uh, some of their story, and their story is full of coincidences in getting here today. There are all sorts of coincidences that have happened to get them here today. Now really, I think if we believe that it is all coincidence, then you'd have to have a lot of faith in chance. I don't know, can you have faith in chance? Maybe that doesn't make sense, but uh, you would have to have a lot of faith in something but we don't believe in that. We believe in God's providence, the way that He works, often in an unseen way, in all of our lives, the way that He's working in the world right now, the way that He worked back then that meant that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that He had told the prophet Micah 700 years before that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and 700 years later, he orchestrates it that they travel up to Bethlehem and Jesus is born. God is amazing and He's working often unseen in our lives. I don't believe you are here today by coincidence. God is at work in every single person's life here, whether you acknowledge it or not. You might not recognize it, but it is true. We've been doing the Alpha course uh, down at our Red Door Cafe, and recently Nikki Gumbel said, the funny thing is that the more God's people pray, the more coincidences seem to happen. Because God actually is at work. He's at work all the time. So I believe that you're here today because God wants you to be here today. Secondly, we see that Jesus would be struck on the cheek with a rod. And if we read... Matthew, in Mark, and in John, we see how he was beaten before his crucifixion, and we see that this was fulfilled. Now, this part of the prophecy was certainly not popular in Micah's day, nor did the Jews really want it fulfilled in Jesus' day, because they didn't want a leader who could be struck on the cheek. 
Being struck on the cheek, it actually signifies the ultimate humiliation because it means your enemy is close enough and you are so weak that you can't stop him even striking you in the face. It signifies ultimate humiliation. And this was the way that Jesus humbled himself for us. He humbled himself so completely that even though as God he could have summoned a myriad of angels to defend himself, but he allowed himself to be beaten and struck, even on the cheek, totally defenseless, not putting up a fight, but allowing himself to be beaten so that he would be put to death for us. He would take our wrongdoing on himself. And so that today we would be free, the very thing we're going to signify in baptism in a moment. God, Jesus didn't fit the king the Jews were looking for. They wanted a warrior king, a worldly king who would have worldly strength and power that would lead them into victory. <coughs> Excuse me. And perhaps Jesus doesn't fit your picture of what God should look like, what you'd want him to look like. It's why people create idols, because you can make an idol look any way you like. And so you make an idol and say, well, I want it to look like this and worship it because it's going to do exactly what I want it to do. Well, God doesn't look exactly how we want Him to look. He's God far above us. We are created in His image, not He in our image. He isn't a God, actually, that you can make look a certain way that you want Him to look. We need to recognize He is God. And yet, here, Jesus humbled Himself. Thirdly, we see that he is from of old, from ancient days. And that from ancient days can be translated as from everlasting. He was going to be born as a man, but he wasn't just a man. He was the very God that existed before anything was created, before the world was made. The same God was going to be a man. And Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God, but more often than not, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, Son of Man can certainly refer to the fact that he was born a man with an earthly uh, mother and father, <coughs> Excuse me, but it also refers to a vision that Daniel, again, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, he had this vision we read it in Daniel 7. He says, And there before me was one like a son of man, coming whoops, with the clouds of heaven. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You see, Jesus is the everlasting God. That's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's outside of space and time as we know it. And yet again, as I've said, this incomprehensible thing happens that he was born in Bethlehem, and then he humbled himself so completely to be struck and to be crucified so that you and I might come to know the everlasting God. Fourthly, 
Micah said that he would be a shepherd king, a shepherd king. Again, not the type of king that the Jews were looking for. Matthew 9, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He knew that what we need is a shepherd. And in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. See, Jesus serves his people like a shepherd with his sheep, bringing them comfort and care, loving this is God who we're talking about. Jesus is the one who loves you more than anyone else that you may know. Your husband, your wife, your child, your parents. This is the good shepherd who gave his life for you. That's how much he loved you. And not only is he a shepherd, but he also is a king. And he displayed the authority of a real king as he lived here on earth, miraculously healing people, setting people free from demonic possession, and teaching them God's ways. He is the shepherd king. And then we see that Micah prophesied that his people will find security in him even to the ends of the earth. And there's so much that the world offers to us that promises security, but I don't know anything that the world offers that is fail-safe and ultimately trustworthy, whether it's finance, anything that you can think of ultimately can fail. The world offers, put your trust in this, put your trust in that. But ultimately, it's God who, ever since mankind, humankind's being created, has proved himself faithful to his people again and again and again. He proves himself faithful in your life. Sometimes we don't always understand the way that he's acting, but ultimately we will see that he's faithful to bring us through to glory and to all that he have, has for us. No matter where you're at today, no matter where you're at with God today, he is your strong fortress. Wherever you go, you can't hide from him, you can't escape him. He's with you and he's for you. So these five things are quite amazing. And what we see is when Jesus did appear, the Jews at the time, and even the Jewish leaders, they did not recognize who he was. We don't have time to go into it, but we, we can read in Matthew that the three wise men, when they came looking and they went to Jerusalem and they went to Herod and said, um, where is this Messiah going to be born? And he consults the religious leaders, and they refer to Micah, this very scripture. They say, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is 10 kilometers away from Jerusalem. They didn't go and find out. The wise men went, and they found Jesus born there in that stable. All the religious leaders... No one went to find him. And my challenge to you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
is do you just, are you going to stay in this place of knowing about him? You might know some things about him. The Jews knew about him. They even knew this prophecy. But are you going to take a step further and say, well, actually, I want to know him? The people who are getting baptized today, they've taken that step. They came to know about Jesus in different ways. But they've taken the step to say, I don't just want to know about Jesus, just not who he was when he lived on earth, but I want to know him. And so each of them have come to him and found him, and he has made himself known to them. He's revealed himself to them. And they have found they're in a relationship with him. See, it's not just enough to know about him. It's not just enough to even know your Bible. It's not even enough just to come to church because what God is after is you and a relationship with you. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. He wants a personal relationship with you. And so this morning there's an opportunity again for you to know this God, this one who is unchanging, this one who is from everlasting to everlasting, this one who is a trustworthy shepherd who wants to lead you into true life. God is thinking not just about the next five minutes or the next hour, but he's thinking about forever, and his desire is for you to be with him forever, forever and ever. Thank you for listening to this sermon. To engage with Grace City Church further, please check out our website, gracecitychurch.net, where you can find links to our socials. Or come visit us in person. All are welcome. God bless.